Welcome back to the Boxing One Podcast. This is episode number 29. And March Madness is over. The Masters Tournament is done. And that can only mean one thing, right, C-Lass? Yes, NBA playoffs. We're talking about the NBA playoffs today. But we appreciate you guys for joining us for the Boxing One Podcast. But we got to start with one of our passions, both of us are hoopers or former hoopers uh, i'm not sure if it's, it's former current. if it's not i'm not sure if it's current anymore but we love the game of basketball and we love talking basketball and there's nothing more hot right now nothing more heated right now than this mvp race everybody's talking about it any nba fan that i know is talking about this mvp race because there are people all over the place there are at least three front runners in this race and we're going to talk about at least a couple of them we may touch on all of them and i'm going to argue a position okay i'm a lawyer so i'm going to convince you c lass that the mvp should be none other than Kawhi, the claw leonard and why do you say that? Why? Okay, I know Westbrook has triple doubles. I know Harden has transformed himself into this hybrid point guard, and he's doing some Nate Tiny Archibald type numbers, okay? But, and listen, this may be my Spurs bias, and I'll, I'll go ahead and say that, okay? But I'm a yeah, guy who might. loves, I'm a guy who loves offense and defense, okay? I love guys who play on both ends of the court. My MVP candidates are first team offense and defense candidates. And there's actually only one, maybe two guys who are in the race for MVP who are first team offense, first team defense candidates. And their name is not Westbrook or Harden. I'm going with the clock. Lockdown perimeter perimeter defender team as the number two team in the West right now and in a good position to go far in the playoffs. So you got to convince me otherwise, see, Les. I don't see me thinking about anybody else but the claw for this MVP. So first, like, I agree with everything you're saying, but here's what's working against them. One, he has the LeBron factor and the fact that he's always that good. So he's always been a great defensive player. And for the last couple of years, he has been the primary focus of the Spurs. We're not seeing something new from him. We're just seeing it do it better than he's always done. So I actually have Kawhi as number two, but I just don't think you can dismiss what we've seen from Russ all season. And I think at some point you start to look for signature moments where somebody just says, hey, in an MVP race where you couldn't say like, I mean, I think we just don't even think of LeBron as a candidate just because he's won four. All right, give it to someone else. So he's out. And then you're looking at these three. You're looking at Harden, uh, who isn't quite the player on the defensive end of the other two candidates. So that's going to strike against him. But his offensive numbers this year have been incredible. Despite that, I still have him third. Um, Kawhi, I would have no problem if he won. I was just say like, Outside of being a completely consistent, quiet player in a quiet market, uh, what is his signature moment? The moment where he said, now he's the MVP. And I think that close, the difference is Russ has had 
a season full of those moments. And you just, this isn't objective at all, so it wouldn't stand up in a court of law, but when you look at them, you're seeing the MVP. So you're telling me right now that MVPs are based on having one MVP type moment. I don't know if I can, that's like saying Embiid had a month of, of rookie of the month and that he should be all team, first team NBA, all NBA. Like nope, he had moments. I said, Hold on. I said this qualifier. I said if all other things are equal, the thing that has to be the separator. So I'm not saying that Embiid should get it because Brogdon should get it, obviously, because he played at UVA close to my house um, and he was more consistent and played more games. But I'm saying nice. if all the other things are equal, then you're looking for a tiebreaker. It has to be. So I don't know if you've ever heard Magic and Bird tell the story about the day in the Barcelona where they had the scrimmage and they kind of like seeded that Michael Jordan was the best player in the league and we're not arguing it anymore in that scrimmage. That's what I'm saying. Like there has to be a moment when you're like, okay, that's the MVP. And I feel like we were saying Harden, we were saying Kawhi all season. And then at the very end of the year, we were like, all right, we can't deny what Russ is doing. He's the MVP. Like we just watched him take the award. Yeah, but you're starting kind of in a bad, uh, a tough place, right? You're saying all other things being equal, but they aren't. Like, that's my point. He's a terrible defender. Do you know that DeAndre Jordan has contested more three-point shots than Russell Westbrook this year? And Westbrook's a point guard, man. What is he doing out there? Like, what okay. are you doing? And so I've, seen clip, see. I've seen clips where his teammates have been just feeding him rebounds. Like, I don't, I don't like looking at pure stats and saying, oh, this guy. Now, let me say, he's an amazing basketball player. He's just a matador on defense. He's terrible defensively. So I can't say that everything is equal. So if you're going to say, if you're going to say he's terrible on defense, what adjective are we going to use for what James Harden does on that end of the floor? I don't even think James Harden's number two. Like, I think. I think Westbrook would be two under Kawhi and then Harden. Like, I'm not even arguing the case for, for Harden. I'm just saying if you look at Kawhi and look at the numbers, quote unquote, and then look at what he does on defense, like, it's a no brainer, complete no brainer. Okay. So take the objectivity out of it. And then you tell me, do you feel like with Russ averaging a triple double that Kawhi's quiet demeanor and playing in a quiet market? he really has the same chance to win it. I'm not saying objectively shitty now. I'm saying, do you feel like he has the same chance? I'm not sure because media. <laughs> I mean, everybody's been covering what Russ has been doing. And my only problem is your team did not win 50 games. Yeah, you're in the playoffs, but you're you're doing that on a mediocre team. Like, the monster snatched Oladipo's body. I don't know where Oladipo went this year. Like, you have a terrible team. So, yeah, I'm going to put up stats a la Ricky Davis. Now, I'm not calling him <laughs> Ricky Davis, but, like, if you're on a bad team, guess what? Jay Rich. You're going to get stats. So you are. Averages a triple-double that you can't mention Ricky Davis in that breath. He averaged a triple-double. <laughs> you cannot go Ricky Davis on my man Russ. Hey, they're force feeding him rebounds. What's the, what's the difference if he's if he's going in there to essentially get rebounds that your bigs are going to force feed you? It's the same thing as Ricky Davis doing a doggone automatic offensive rebound on under the floor by himself. That's in my ah, opinion. Yeah. So when I watched the Russ video you're talking about, 
face was furrowed. So it was like confused, like, yo, why are his teammates doing this? Like, don't they have agents and that they want to get rebounds too? <laughs> like, don't they want to get paid? But when I watched yeah. the Ricky Davis, that's pure disgust. <laughs> like, so <laughs> like those two. I'll give like, that. So to make you. sure you put the link in the make sure you put the link in the show notes. I'll link to YouTube the Ricky Davis of, yes. rebound because it, it is disgusting. Now for road yes. is yes, that's a good descriptor. I think both of them are kind of raised the eyebrow, but Ricky Davis might go to level 10 on the disgustometer. So so look, man, here's my thing, okay. I'm not really kind of a stats, chasing stats type person, okay? I like to see somebody give effort both ends of the floor, have an impact on the game all over the floor. And I don't see that with Russ. Yes, triple-double is cool. It's really cool. It's sexy. It's trendy. But when it boils down to it, give me the claw. Give me Kawhi. He might not win it, and I'm pretty sure he won't. I mean – this first series, this first round series with Houston and the Thunder might actually help determine it. But Kawhi is my dude. I mean, you're just going to have to give me Kawhi. I don't think you can convince yeah. me otherwise, especially the fact that I just don't like the way they did that with Russ. Like, <laughs> those rebounds were like, really? Y'all just not going to go for rebounds at all? But, Jay Rich, wouldn't we, if we were in a court of law, wouldn't we have to bring your bias into it as well? And, like, when is the last time that you were out somewhere and ran into another Spurs fan? That is just a question I'm dying to know. <laughs> well, it's been a while. It's been a while, but I do have a few faithful Spurs fans out there. My boy, David Yee, who uh, who lives in the Bay Area, and we actually haven't even met yet, but uh, we're, we're faithful Spurs fans, and I think he's a listener as well. So, look, man, let me just say this. Yes, I'm biased. Witness bias comes into play here. And but if I were to stand back objectively and look at what I've seen over the course of this season from all the folks, it's a pretty tight race. Wins are a factor for me. Like the MVP has never come from a team that has lost one less than 50 games. That's just a fact. Why? Because you're supposed to be a winner. And Russ has not won 50 games with that Thunder team this year. So I can't break rules, okay? We're talking about law. We're talking about the law in the league is that if you don't win 50 games, I'm sorry, you're not going to be MVP. Otherwise, dudes on these sucky teams that are getting stats will get the MVP. I just can't do it, see, last. I'm sorry, can't do it. But you do know that even if you're padding stats, you can't just average a triple-double without being great, right? Impressive. It is impressive, okay? I just need an asterisk by all these rebounds, okay? That's all. What about the 60 points? That's okay. <laughs> can you, can you <laughs> I just don't like Russ. Can you just tell that? All right. I don't think I like I think he has a great motor. Uh, he plays with an intensity that very few players do. You can tell he loves the game of basketball. He's just a weird dude, man. Like, I don't understand – the snarls and and the one time where he walked down the court full length of the court like that doesn't say you have a high basketball IQ. <laughs> Do you know what it is? Like you watch him play and you marvel at his game, and the whole time while you're marveling at this game, the other half of your brain is like, "Yep, I see why KD left." <laughs> like so, it's both exactly 
the whole time. I call him like, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, man. That's my dude. You know you're, you're going to get fourth quarter rest. Russ might do some crazy stuff that you just don't understand sometimes. And I always bank on that if they ever play my Spurs because that Russ is the one I really appreciate. Speaking of if they ever play my Spurs, we have some playoff matchups, don't we? Yeah, so which playoff game? Right off the top, we just last night saw everybody who's going to fall in place. Fan, but if you and, or you can leave your Spurs in there, um, you just see one matchup in the first round, Eastern Conference, Western Conference that you love. Uh, what do you got? I rack my brain on this one, okay? Because everybody's going to say the the Rockets Thunder matchup, right? So, um, I, and I, I told you this, I tipped my hat a little bit earlier, man. I, I kind of like a couple of the the one eight matchups. I know those are like, oh man, that's like picking a sixteen to beat a one. But, I mean, you got to like the Rondo storyline going against his his former teammates in Boston. And then Isaiah Thomas is just going crazy. Obviously, I think the Celtics are going to take that series. But if I had to pick between the two, the eight that would win the most games is going to be Portland. And I'm, I actually am tri- intrigued by that series, despite what you say, Chris Lassner, okay? I know the Warriors are a well-oiled machine, okay? But Dame is Dame, and Dame is gone Dame. And they got some pretty solid bigs there. And I like McCullough. So so we'll see, man. That's my that's gonna be my sleeper matchup. Okay. I think they win two or three games. Three games. You heard it here. Jay Rich. Yes. You and I. I both told you know. I'm Negro Damas. Negro Damas. Remember we, Rhode Island first round, March Madness. Who called we both it? know that series is going one, it's going five games. Portland will win game four at home. And then it'll be over. And you and I both know that. Okay. So for right. a series that probably still won't be that close, but will be more entertaining. Um, I think you just can't get enough of Paul George against LeBron because they do bring out the best of each other and they accept the duel. I know the clip from sports center where they're uh, dunking on each other back to back. I can take that for a series, but I also think it has bigger implications. Cause I think if the Pacers pull a no show, um, we're, we're seeing Paul George as a Laker, so his last game as a Pacer. That's yeah, intriguing the to me. Kind of stumbling into the playoffs, so you're right. That might be a pretty interesting series. Um, so let's see if they can turn it on to start the playoffs. All right, so y'all heard it. I said Portland might win three. See, last is only giving them one game. That's crazy. All right, this is all about the goat of the week. <laughs> The donkey of the week or whatever you want to call it. Okay. We got two major companies, organizations. Um, and we just want to ask the question, who had the worst week? Was it Pepsi or United Airlines? Now, for listeners who don't know, Pepsi had an ad with one of the Jenner Kardashian folks. I don't know who they are. Is it Caitlyn? Kylie. Kylie. Okay. It was, no, it was actually Kendall. Oops. Kendall Jenner. Um, I'm not up on my Kardashians. <laughs> Sorry, bro. <laughs> so it was Kendall, and Kendall uh, decided that she was going to take a small break in the commercial uh, from doing what she was doing to go in on the front lines of a protest that looked very Black Lives Matter-ish. 
as the Caucasian woman and go take a Pepsi to a police officer, which apparently a can of Pepsi can cause any strife between police and protesters to go away. The only thing that could have made that commercial worse is if Rachel Dolezal had given them the Pepsi. (laughs) Oh, not Rachel. We're going to talk about Rachel. No, we're going to let her slide, dude. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the only thing that could have made the commercial worse. You're right. If Rachel would have came out there with that Pepsi, we would have went crazy, but black Twitter oh. went crazy anyway. <laughs> okay. You don't bring out Kendall Jenner to do something like this. When you got black bodies and people on the front line doing this every day, you just appropriate the story with Kendall Jenner and say, Pepsi makes everything. Okay. All right. So that's Pepsi United. We all know, or hopefully some people have seen this video where this uh, gentleman was asked to be removed from his seat to make room for for the flight crew. Uh, Initially, they offered money to different passengers. Nobody said they were going to get off. Uh, United has a policy. People didn't know this, but it's written in the, the actual rules of their flights that they could bump you anytime for any reason. So they wanted this man to get off the flight and he decided not to. Videos cropped up that uh, airport police came on, snatched him off his seat, he bumped his head and he was being dragged. I hate to laugh at this, but he was dragged down the aisle and it looked like the man was just limp and unconscious. Actually, it was actually like crazy scary when I first saw it. Uh, but then did I he get a concussion? It. Yeah, he did and lost teeth. So, uh, bro. People went crazy. There were so many United memes. Southwest was like, hey, we don't knock you out on one of the memes. It was kind of inter- funny. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so the question is like, look, these two major companies uh, both had major faux pas this week. So who had the worst week? I know who I'm going to argue for, but who are you arguing for, Chris? Hey, Rich, it's got to be Pepsi because they didn't have to do this. <laughs> like, I don't like I understand like they're saying like, hey, we're reaching out to millennials, but anyone could have said, hey, like, did we ever think that this is appropriation and this kind of makes light of something that's not funny and Pepsi actually isn't the solution. I can think of so many more ways that this that you could go, but like you can't like, how did you not show the video before it went viral to anyone who could have possibly said, hey, have you guys ever thought that this like also for whatever you're trying to communicate, like really is communicating this. Like, I just don't see how you can have a marketing team and everybody's blind to that. So, um, but it was their campaign. Like they controlled everything about the narrative. And so you just can't do that. Now, if I was trying to clean it up and I was Pepsi, what I would do is say like, hey, we goofed, but we would make a campaign out of us as learners. Saying like, hey, we're going to engage the culture. We're going to make a whole campaign saying like, we're actually going to go and we're going to listen. We're going to invest in causes that move these conversations and really use that as a campaign and really take what they did and say like, hey, we can um, we can clean this up, kind of use the bad for good. But I just don't know how you clean that up if you're united, man. My man had a concussion and no teeth now. <laughs> Point well taken. Like, yes. Pepsi probably could have played some cleanup on this, but my, so my, from my perspective though, I'm looking at 
uh, financial impact and, and fallout, right? So this Pepsi commercial impacted a much smaller segment, at least from my opinion, of the population, uh, specifically folks who are interested in social justice, okay? Because people out here in my where I live in, in, in suburban Illinois, guess what? They're still going to the store. They're still getting 12 packs and 24 packs of Pepsi, okay? Now, when I look at United stock the next day losing millions of dollars because of this incident, I think it had a much more far-reaching impact financially, especially because it came on the heels of United deciding that they weren't going to let these teenage passengers fly because they wore leggings on the flight. Okay. And you want to talk about the double PR whammy. They just got out of that. And now on top of that, they have this happen. Now, granted, it was airport police. They probably didn't have any control over the airport police besides reporting this man and saying, get him off our plane. But the fallout there has just been monumental financially. And the CEO didn't quite apologize the first go around. It was more so, hey, we had to reaccommodate. That was like the, the joke, right? We were reaccommodating passengers and something happened. Well, I don't want to be on that reaccommodation list. Okay. So what happened today also, let me just add an extra wrinkle here, Chris. A scorpion fell out of the overhead bin today and stung one of their passengers. You want to talk about like, oh my goodness, what else is going to go on? And the news picked that up too. It's like, hey, United is having all types of problems. They got scorpions falling out of <laughs> scorpions on the plane, stinging people. So I'm yeah. going united on this one, bro. Do you remember in the Old Testament when the a group was warring with Israel and they moved the Ark of the Covenant and then everything just started going wrong in their nation? <laughs> like that's exactly what you, happened here, right? It, did United move the Ark of the Covenant? Like, bro, what? Like a scorpion? Come on, fam, a scorpion. <laughs> It was like the most random thing, but I'm like, really? This happened on the United flight like this week. It had to happen this week, right? So that's why I'm going with United Airlines, man. Much more, much more impact financially on, on that company. Folks right. are cutting up credit cards and stuff. So, so we're going to go back to the courtroom. You're a lawyer, right? Yes, sir. So it's a difference between premeditated and something you react to, which usually is like a second degree charge, right? So we got to charge. Uh oh, here we go. We got to charge Pepsi with first degree, and United, as dumb as it was, they still get the second degree. But also, like, where are they finding like airport security that is that strong? Like, I'm talking about like Debo and people knocking them out. <laughs> like, it's one thing that like, like, how are they stronger than the people that removed Charles Oakley from the garden? They went and got the MMA joints, man. <laughs> Their airport police must be trained because they. They not buddy flat out. <laughs> that lady on that plane was like, oh no, <laughs> wake them up. I was like, oh no, that's terrible. Terrible. So United, yeah. you got to do better. Got to be. You can't slump passengers. Look, I was supposed to fly United next week. Cancel my flight. True story. No, you're not. No, true story. <laughs> I'm <laughs> He said I'm not getting those scorpions. Well, you know, I'm I had, wearing my leggings under my open shorts. I had to reschedule, but it just so happened it was a United flight. I was making a joke with my wife. I was like, I'm not flying United, canceled it. And uh <laughs> we might do something else. But that was kind of funny that that happened. All right. So this week 
is one of the most significant weeks in Christendom. It is Holy Week. Um, it is the week of Easter. Most people know it as Easter. And uh, Easter is a time of season when Christians remember the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for them, the implications for them in being redeemed and being brought back into a relationship with, with God. So, uh, Silas, I know that you had some reflections or you wanted to reflect on this, right? Yeah. So, um, I just got a couple questions for you. It's been me. One of the things I've done in preparation for Easter is kind of reading an Advent devotional or excuse me, like a Lenten devotional cool to help me kind of focus um, my studies in this time towards this season in the church. But just the other day, I went out to lunch. My wife and I and some friends went to lunch with our pastor. Afterwards, I went to my pastor's office. My pastor's white. I'm black, obviously. I go to a PCA church and, um, and just taped it. I was like, hey. Um, I made one of those ghetto tripods, Jay Rich, that you would love to, that uh, you hated when we went to Legacy. But I said, hey, um, you know, you're you're white, I'm black. How does the Easter story allow us um, to come to worship together on Sundays? He gave a beautiful answer and we put it on. But um, my two questions for you as we think forward to this, um, which should be the biggest holiday in the church, because um, Paul says, you know, um, without a resurrection, there is no Christianity. Um, one, how do you, what, what advice would you give for believers um, as they engage around them in a time where people are expecting or more open to spiritual conversations? Yeah. So uh, for me, Easter is one of those times when people are or appear to be most open to spiritual conversations. Uh, part of it has to do with, I mean, another one of those times is Christmas, but I think um, in terms of our culture, uh, even though a lot of people you know, do the Easter baskets and the Easter bunny and the Easter eggs around this time, I think just historically in Western culture, uh, Easter time has been a a time of, you know, things are getting, spring is happening and folks are just starting to, to think through um, different things spiritually. So, so for, for Christians, you know, a lot of people do one of two things, right? They, they either in, invite people to an Easter service, which is pretty seeker friendly, right? Um, but the other thing that, that I think is is really important, and and we're kind of processing this and thinking through this as a family too, is like, hey, even in your in your neighborhoods, in what ways can you engage neighbors in spiritual conversations around Easter? So, uh, we're doing a Easter egg hunt at our house uh, this weekend with our kids. We have a pretty significant backyard, so we're hiding plastic eggs. Um, and one of the things when, when the kids are going around finding eggs and stuff, parents are there standing there. <laughs> um, and that's that's a really, um, really great moment to kind of have some exploratory conversations. And you just listen for prompts in people. Hey, how are you doing? Um, yeah, I'm doing all right. Uh, well, you know, what's going on? Or, hey, um, you know. You know, what do you do for a living? Or people always ask you that, right? And people kind of go into that story. Uh, for me, there's kind of a built-in conversation there because I work at the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism. Hey, what is that? 
hey, that's a gospel moment for me. Uh, so so just listening for prompts when you have conversations with folks, even outside of the church setting, uh, when you have these Easter egg hunts or local things that happen on this weekend uh, is one of the things that that can be done to to have those and to leverage those opportunities when people are pretty open to this new spring feel. What about you, man? What do you think? So for me, I just try to leverage um, every relationship that I have, um, whether that's a social media relationship or personal relationships and just um, kind of look for you. Like I'm just looking for inroads to point people to the gospel. I think the difference is in this season, you kind of have your radar more up because other people's radar are more up, if that makes sense. Um, and I made the video with hopes of like just engaging friends in conversation who might not um, be willing to go to church and show like the implications of the cross, the resurrection, having our society of making a new humanity whose um, first identity isn't in color and hoping that would be a springboard. But it's also kind of been neat to see um, that kind of have an impact within our churches. People have kind of said like, hey, like now we're thinking about that. Um, so that was kind of cool. It wasn't my intent, but that's been kind of cool too. And so I think one of my second question for you would be um, obviously we want to engage our friends with the gospel during that season, but how do we make sure the Easter story impacts us? Yeah, I think that a lot of people uh, admittedly or won't admit that uh, the the Easter story gets worn for them, if that makes sense. Like we know what happens; he gets up. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but as you mentioned, like hey, when Paul's writing. Uh, to the ch church at Corinth, he's like, listen, the resurrection <laughs> is the hinge upon which our entire faith turns. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then our faith is not worth a thing. Um, so, so for me, at least when I'm thinking through that, especially in light of uh, the pain and the hurt that's happening in this world. Like I lost my great uncle last week. And so for me, like the resurrection is the only hope uh, upon which I can cling in those moments. So Easter is exactly about that. It's about the resurrection event. It's about the fact that that Jesus has defeated death even though Paul also says in that text that that death is going to be the last enemy to defeat it. Jesus has already defeated him, um, but we also lived in the eschatological not yet, right? So, so death has not yet been defeated in the second coming or the eschaton of, of Christ. So, so for me as a believer, as a Christian, um, it's kind of keeping that perspective on the resurrection and thinking through loved ones that I've lost and saying, look, the fact that he got up means that not only will I get up, but those who I've lost also will get up and will rise with him. And that's the hope upon which um, continues to uh, stir up my affections uh, in this season, uh, as opposed to just thinking about it as another story. Um, this The story is <laughs> the only story uh, that, that matters 
in 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 the Christian context because if he did not get up, as Paul said, um, then our faith is 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 un- ineffective. And I also think um, speaking to just the pain and the suffering in our world, um, there's a a verse just kind of tucked away in the first chapter of Colossians where it says um, first. I mean, Colossians 1.20, that Christ um, is reconciling all things to himself. And um, so this redemption starts with us, but doesn't end with us. And he's making a new world and pain and suffering won't be a part of it. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that's my daily hope, um, not just my Easter hope, but my daily hope. And um, I just want to fashion my life in a way hmm. um, that advertises that for the world to see that here's my hope that, hey, the Christian story is that Christ is reconciling me to himself, but he's also reconciling all things to himself by the cross. Okay, man. So every episode, we try to give some people some nightstand reading. Like, what do we reach over at night and say, this particular resource has really uh, blessed my soul over the past week, couple of weeks. And so I want to check with you, my resident bibliophile, Chris, uh, and let the people know what resource would you commend to them um, as something that they may may need to pick up? So one thing, I don't have a huge book budget. So if I know a pastor in my community is retiring, I usually try to raid their commentary list. I've really been getting a lot out of a commentary on Luke and just going through the gospel of Luke from Leon Morris, who I believe was an Australian, if I'm right, um, commentator, but that's been great and just helped me see insights into Luke's style of writing and to the gospel that I might not have caught on my own. So that's been super encouraging. And one other resource is um, every once in a while, I actually met you first at a legacy conference in Chicago. And every once in a while, the legacy on their blog page will post um, one of the class workshop sessions. I know you taught one that was really good. I caught a piece of, um, but they just posted one by Rich Perez on the gospel and um, hospitality. And it was really good. Hmm. There's a really funny part too, where he he did it on Elijah and going to visit the widow. And um, there's one part in the story where he says, the the man of God continually came by the house and he just called him like bro man from the fifth floor. And I actually got weak in the middle of the night as I was <laughs> listening to it. But those are two, two good reasons, something to read, something you can kind of um, Google and find on your own and listen to. But those have been blessing me. Um, for me, I, I, I would suggest um, Michael Horton's Pilgrim Theology. I picked it up a couple, about a week and a half ago, started reading through it. It's actually a pretty good um, lay persons read for someone interested in the core of the Christian faith. And he lays it out in, in terms of this pilgrim theology, how, how we're all theologians and then we're all pilgrims in this world. And, uh, I think he does, does a pretty stand up job of laying out terms, uh, key terms and phrases, defining those terms and phrases. So, uh, I would definitely, uh, commend that to anyone and ask that they add it, add it to their library if they're interested in growing uh, in their faith. So, okay, dude, we got closing shout outs. I'm not sure. Do we have the same shout out this week? Yeah, we got the same shout out this week, bro. We, we got the same shout out, man. Who are we shouting out? 
We shouting out uh, Coach Jay Hart, our former podcast co-host who um, had hung up the whistle after the 2012 state championship. We led the high school here in Stanton, Virginia to a girls' state basketball championship. He's been coaching his son's AU team, little talented group out there. But um, this week he announced that he's coming back to coaching. And actually last week is last week. We took a week off on the podcast. So last week he announced this comeback to coaching. Um, we had been praying. I went over to his house and prayed with him. He had some pretty big decisions to make. But I feel great about the decision that he made. And I'm looking forward to seeing him back on the sideline. Jay Hart. Jay Hart. Jay Hart, did, what's good, homie? Did the Instagram basketball court Facebook post that was like two words. I'm back. I'm back. I was like, all right, JR, I see you. I see you. One of the cool things about it, man, it feels like th this is what he's been called and created to do. And you could just see him come alive with it. So shout out to the homie Jay Hart, man. Look, when y'all make it to the state, listen. Here's here's what I'll say, okay? You take that team to the state finals championship, and I'm there. Jay Rich will come to Virginia. I've been I've been avoiding this the whole time. So this is your incentive, okay? Jay Rich, yeah, stand up. G, Jay Rich will come to Virginia to watch Jay the Hart. Two up, two down. That's what we call it. The two, two up, two down. Two up, two down. Because you can make the V up with your fingers. Oh, so this the two guy. up, two down. This guy. Yeah, me. The two up, two down. <laughs> you got to know these things if you're going to slide through. All right. So we'll see. We'll see if I make it to Virginia. No pressure, Jay Hart. But shout out to you, man. We're proud of you, man. Appreciate you for uh, all that you did here on the podcast, but also appreciate you for pouring into the lives of, of young people down there in virginia all right that's been episode number 29 of the boxing one podcast stay tuned for our next episode as we will recap my truth telling and saying that portland was going to win three games we're going to see that okay and c-last is going to apologize to me i promise yeah we'll see be we'll sure see to the profit is be sure to follow <laughs> us on twitter we have a new facebook group if you want to join uh, go over to boxing one podcast uh, search the groups you'll see us in there and we will add you to the group uh, we just ask that you go over to itunes rate review uh, our podcast so that uh, others can get this content as well with that being said enjoy these nba playoffs and we'll see you guys next go round grace and peace to you peace out